The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tag Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee S. Real Estate Agency located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneesry at allstate.com, R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum with your host, Jason Galvin and Jim Higgins. Today in studio, we have Sergeant Benjamin DeMullen, Marine recruiter. Jim, go ahead and kick us off. Well, thank you, Ben, for joining us tonight. You know, the, uh, the subject of recruiting, you know, kind of caught us, uh, our interest a while back when we kind of think of some of the specific challenges of the recruiting biz, you might say, these days, and uh, for many reasons. But, you know, since, what, 1973, America's been a volunteer army, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, reliant on the young people to come up and step up, you might say, and join the armed forces. But, you know, uh, first I want to kind of hear a little bit about you, because I've heard recruiters are typically very well-traveled, highly accomplished, and, and model soldiers, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, appreciate being here. Uh, it's a beautiful building that you guys got. So last time that I was in here, I think you guys gave me a, uh, a nice tour and everything. So it's uh, it's great being here. Uh, yeah, a little bit about myself. Uh, first off, um, I grew up in St. Louis. I grew up in North County uh, in Flores and Hazelwood area. Um, went to uh, Hazelwood Central for a little bit, graduated from there, and then moved to Southern Illinois to finish out my high school career. Uh, that was recruited to play football at Lindenwood. Played football there for for a couple of years before uh, I ended up. I stopped going to college. Uh, worked at a pipe shop in Southern Illinois uh, for two years. Uh, so I joined a little bit late. I'm a little bit older than the normal population that gets recruited. I was uh, a 21 uh, when I actually enlisted. Walked into a recruiter's office and said, "Yeah, this is something that I want to do." Uh, since then, I went to boot camp in San Diego, California, is where I did my uh, our boot camp, our basic training for the Marine Corps. And then following that, I went to Marine combat training. And then my job school was in Virginia, in Fort Lee, Virginia, uh, where I became an armor. I was a 2111 is my MOS code. So I'm an armor. I take care of pretty much every uh, any weapon system that um, Marine will use, anything from pistols all the way up to mortars. I'm certified to repair and fix uh, and then run the armory. And that's what I did in South Carolina for five years. Uh, I went on a deployment. I was on the USS Theodore Roosevelt, which is an aircraft carrier, uh, part of one of the strike groups there. Uh, we helped out uh, Operation Inherent Resolve, which was a big operation that uh, the military as a whole, especially the Marines and the Navy, use uh, to combat ISIS in Syria and Iraq. 
Um, so doing that was really fun. I got to uh, pretty much travel all over the Pacific and uh, uh, kind of the the Middle East-ish area. It's got to stop in, I think, eight different countries and a couple different U.S. territories. So I kind of got to see the world and go get a kind of get a feel for different cultures and experiences, train with uh, other nations and militaries, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, being being well-traveled, that's kind of a big, big perk of the job. That's uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it. Um, but being able to go do that and serve with uh, a lot of a lot of impressive individuals uh, on the officer and the enlisted side and from, uh, from multiple services too, not just the Marine Corps, but also the Navy and then uh, the other branches as well was, was pretty entertaining. So that's just kind of my kind of basic background. So do you have family that have served over the years? Uh, so I was actually the first person in uh, my family to serve. Uh, my, uh, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband served – uh, but that was before, like I met him and at the time he had, um, he had already gotten out before she had met him for, uh, like I met him a couple years before I decided to enlist. So I was really the first person to do it. So no one in my family knew much about the military. I didn't know anything. Uh, I pretty much just knew everything that I heard from TV shows and movies was, was kind of my knowledge. Uh, and then after that, my, one of my older brothers, uh, my brother Brad is, is two years older than me. Uh, he joined after me, actually. So he joined really late. He joined when he was 20, 25 or 26. Uh, then we were actually stationed pretty close to each other in South Carolina for, for a couple of years. It was actually pretty cool. It was pretty neat. Um, so my folks now have went from having no one in their family to ever serve to having, having their two youngest serving at the same time and in the same area, which was made for some pretty interesting Thanksgivings and, and Christmases. And mom and dad would drive down to uh, to Beaufort and, and kind of hang out with us and stuff like that. But no, other than that, that was I was really the only person to do it in my family, my my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a St. Louis City cop for 39 years, and that's kind of what started my path into when to be in the military because I thought I wanted to go into law enforcement, and I thought that the military, and specifically the Marines in general, would be a good gateway into doing that profession. Awesome. Um, so can you kind of explain a little bit what the recruiting process looks like from start to finish? I imagine there's uh, people that walk in the door, but – you know, I, I'm guessing that you you probably are not waiting for them to just walk in. So what does the process look like? So if, uh, in a nutshell, basically the process is um, it all starts with the recruiter, no matter what branch it is. Um, it all starts with the recruiter. You have to talk to a recruiter before you kind of start the process because they're going to be the subject matter expert on whatever it is that you're doing. In this case, obviously enlisting is what it is. Uh, it's not like kind of what I thought when I, uh, when I first walked into the recruiter's office, I thought it was something as simple as just signing a piece of paper and then, okay, cool. I'm on a bus or I'm on a plane and then I get to go to, you know, go to boot camp. Uh, as a recruiter, sometimes I wish that was the case cause it'd make my job a lot easier and a lot simpler. Um, but it's really not basically, uh, you have to go through a, a fairly lengthy medical process. Um, we have a new system in place that's called Genesis. And what that does is it kind of runs your background check, your medical records, um, to kind of see if there's any kind of injuries, medications that you may be on or have been on that may disqualify you. Um, once you talk to a recruiter, kind of get all that kind of paperwork sent out. Once we send that to our doctors um, downtown in St. Louis, they're going to review those. Um, and then that's when you can actually start the physical portion, which is when you actually go visit them. And you kind of do similar to like a sports physical for anyone who's ever played like sports, um, like in high school, um, when you have to go like see – pediatrician or your doctor, whatever. It's kind of a similar thing, except you're doing it with uh, doctors, medical professionals that the government actually hires out. Uh, on top of that, you also have to take the ASVAB, which is a, uh, it's kind of similar to the ACT, SAT. Um, it's just a standardized test that kind of will, it's more of a predictor test to see what you're good at and what you have the aptitude to be good at in the military. Um, that's how we kind of place people in jobs and kind of see what you're qualified for job-wise. Um, so there's, there's a little more to it than that, uh, not to get too technical, not to, to waste too much time, but overall, that's kind of what the whole process looks like. Once you get through that, then you're going to join uh, what's called the delayed entry program. So you, you're really not even enlisting in the Marines yet at that point, at least for, for my branch, you're joining the Marine Corps delayed entry program. Uh, once you join the Marine Corps delayed entry program, that's when we can assign you a job and we can assign you a ship date. And then that's when the recruiters can really start working with you and try and get you in the best physical and mental shape that way we can prepare you for boot camp. You know, we hear, we've heard that, uh, you know, the uh, recruiting is down nationwide. How is the St. Louis market doing? St. Louis market's doing pretty good. I mean, 
are pretty average. We, uh, I mean, we, we kind of fell off a little bit, not to say that we did bad. It's just that the year previous we did so good. We were one of the top, um, top stations in the country. Um, I mean, we're, we're still good. We're, we're still above average. Um, but I mean, it's, it's tough. Like you said, recruiting is down nationwide. Uh, but the ranker has actually done a pretty good job. We made mission last year, um, for our, uh, retainment and for our recruiting numbers, um, which, I mean, I, I don't know about the other services off the top of my head, but I know the Marine Corps, we, we had a tough mission to accomplish, and we were, able, we were actually able to meet it, um, which I think just speaks to Marines in general, just being able to overcome uh, challenges that we face, all the adversity that's kind of built into to us as Marines. Like, we, we look at a challenge, and it may, it may be tough, but it's one of the things that we're just trained to do is kind of overcome those challenges. So it, it is tough, but it's something that we, we were actually able to do uh, last year. Well, we've, you know, I've, I guess a little search that I've done, I saw that the Marines will probably meet their quota in 2022, mm-hmm. which is great because I'm not sure any of the other branches are going to. <laughs> but, you know, an obvious question, at least I, I think I can think of several reasons why recruiting is just hard. And one of the the questions that come to my mind is the private sector is obviously very challenged right now to fill the roles there. I mean, so that's one concern there. Most people can find jobs. In the long, you know, older, long time back, people would choose the military because they didn't have a career. Now, the other thing that that what we find is is, uh, you know, seventy percent of Americans by the CDC standards are not considered fit to serve in the military. So there's just seems like there's a plethora of reasons that that recruiting would be really tough today. But you guys are managing to overcome that. Yeah, it's uh, it is hard, like you said, especially. Um, now, I mean, there, there's a lot of factors for why people aren't fit, whether it's uh, medical issues, uh, moral issues, you know, something like uh, police involvement, um, arrest records, stuff like that, um, and then evil, some, even something as simple as there's certain medications that are very common now, such as like ADD or ADHD medicine that can be disqualifying depending on how long you've been on it or when you started to go on it. That can be disqualifying and just kind of societal standards. A lot of times like that's just kind of the norm now. Um, a lot of parents put their kids on them like right, wrong or indifferent. Uh, and that, that can kind of make it an individual disqualified. So simple stuff that maybe might not have even been known or even been prevalent. Something as simple as 20 years ago now is very common. And that's something that makes someone automatically disqualified. Um, so j- just kind of different stuff like that uh, is one of the reasons why individuals are, are disqualified. And also too, I mean, I'm sure every generation says it all about the, the next generation that comes up, the younger generation. I'm like, oh, like this generation is not going to make it. They're, you know, they're, they're going to be the, the downfall of this. I'm sure everyone said that all the way back till, you know, God knows when since America was founded. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's okay. I mean, there, there's always bright spots and there's always bad spots, you know. Um, so you just got to kind of find the, the middle ground there because the middle ground, I, I do wholeheartedly believe that there, there's still a lot of good young people about it. Uh, our, our biggest challenge is the lack of knowledge, I think. Um, a lot of people, whether it's parents, grandparents, the actual applicants themselves, you know, high school, college-age kids, so many people don't know, A, about the military and obviously the Marine Corps specifically, but they don't know about the recruitment process is really the hardest part. Uh, you know, when they see a recruiter coming in their high school or they see a recruiter out in town, immediately they think of like, well, that person just wants me to sign on the dotted line and they just want me to go down because they're just a number. Like, that's not true, at, le- at least not for me. Like, I don't look as individuals as, as numbers. I look at them as an individual. Uh, my whole job as a recruiter is to give an individual the opportunity to change and or better their life. Like, whatever their path is, whether it's they want to go to college or they want to be a doctor, they want to be an engineer, they want to be a lawyer, they want to be a bricklayer, like whatever it is, to me, there's a way that the Marine Corps can enhance that plan. Uh, but the lack of knowledge of people, they look at that and they just think of, well, your job is just to get me to go to boot camp because you just see me as a number. Um, that That's a big challenge, at least me in this area that that I've kind of run into a lot. Um, that and to kind of before of what I said of the whole process, a lot of people don't know. Um, so something just as simple as kind of doing what we're doing now, just sitting down having a conversation, that's 80% of my job is just sitting down just talking to people. Um, I don't sell them on anything. Uh, I don't. Really, I, I mean, I don't tell any lies about what it is. I mean, you know, I'll tell them, I'll be honest, like, yeah, boot camp sucks. <laughs> like, you know, boot camp is, is, is tough. It's not a walk in the park. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, it's a vacation in San Diego. Like, it's it's rough. I, I'm not here to sell anyone a dream or, you know, sell anything that's not there. I'm just there to give them information. But 
a lot of people don't think that's what we do. They think that agreeing to just sit down, talk to a recruiter of any branch is, oh, well, they're going to enlist me. That's not, that's not the case. It's, it's more of really all of the, especially where I'm, where I'm at the recruiters, even the other branches too, we all get along pretty well. Um, and it's just sit down, have a conversation, see what the opportunities are that are out there. Um, that, so that's the biggest challenge that we run into. And I don't think it's just this market or this area. I mean, I have recruiters all over the country that I went to recruiter school with and they all kind of face the same challenges of people, the lack of information, people not knowing. So that, that's really the biggest challenge that we kind of face. So they still have the crucible at the end of the boot camp, though. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The crucible is uh, probably the best worst part of a uh, of boot camp. Um, you know, it's it's over. It covers essentially a three day period. You get two meals. You get uh, under ten hours of sleep. You you hike. I think I think it's something like twenty. The low twenties miles grand total is what you're hiking through the day. Um, you're constantly doing mental challenges, physical challenge. That's the culminating event of boot camp is where you're putting your entire knowledge of everything that you've done uh, all into one. Uh, the part that I love about it the most, which is not a lot because, like I said, it is challenging uh, mentally and physically, but the part I like about it the most is that you're with your team that you've been with for the last 13 weeks. You're with your platoon. You're with the guys and gals that you've been with for three months that you were strangers at the beginning, and now all of a sudden you come together as a team and you get to work together to overcome whatever challenges you may face, um, which, like I said, during that three-day period is a lot. Uh, the, the, the best part about it, though, really, if you think about it, is the very end, once you climb the Reaper, which is our mountain that we call it. Well, it's technically a hill. We call it a mountain because it seems like a mountain at the end. You have your your giant pack on. You're trudging up this hill, and you think, like, there's no way I'm going to make that peak. You finally make the peak. You get to drop your pack, and then you all stand in formation. That's the first time that you receive your Eagle Globe and Anchor. That's the first time that – your drill instructor actually calls you a Marine. Um, so it's, it's a pretty emotional moment, one, because you're, you're tired and you're hungry, um, but it's something that whether it's you've been dreaming about this since the time you were four because, you know, dad was a Marine or something, or you're someone like me, it was just like, yeah, I saw a cool commercial, and I think being a Marine would be pretty cool. Um, no matter what it is, that's the first time that you actually get that eagle lobe and anchor in your hand. Your drill instructor shakes your hand, calls you a Marine, uh, Pretty much every Marine that I saw at the time cried. I think most Marines, if they said they didn't, they're lying. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty emotional moment. It's very cool, and that's, uh, that's kind of the, one of the best moments, really outside of my two children being born and outside of getting married. That, that was probably the best moment of my life. Um, and then also kind of an extra special moment for me, I actually received that on my mom's birthday. So when she came for family day right before I graduated, I still had that EGA. I gave it to her. I'm like, here you go, Mom. Like, this is for you. I didn't really think anything of it, but mom loved it. And now she like displays it like on her mantle at home. So I go home. There's a whole like Marine Corps shrine of me and my brother, Brad. And there's this, this EGA that kind of sits in there. I'm like, Oh mom, like take that down. Like, come on. It's been, been seven years now, but she, she probably won't part with that ever. So, uh, that, that was, that was one of the, the best moments of my life. Yeah. The crucible was crucible was something gnarly, but it was, uh, never going to forget it. That's for sure. That's, that's burning to, to my brain, to my heart forever. Very nice. Um, so we talked about the testing. There's a little bit of testing, but what opportunities do the young people coming into the Marines specifically have to learn a career? Uh, so really, uh, don't say the opportunities are endless because I mean, there, there is a finite number of jobs. Uh, the thing that I would say is most, most civilian careers that you can think of, most civilian jobs that you can think of, there's some sort of military and Marine Corps equivalent to it. Um, so whether it be you want to do something in carpentry, like we have carpenters in the Marine Corps, you want to do something in the utility field, like my brother's an electrician, like you can do that in the Marine Corps. If you want to do something, if you want to work at Boeing, like we Marine Corps has airplanes, like you can work on, on aircraft. So really it's the, the sky's the limit. As long as you qualify for it on the ASVAB, you're, I mean, the, the, the opportunities are endless, whatever kind of career you want to get into. Um, not just our actual job training of what your specific job is, but we have, so many secondary schools and so many programs in place that you can do off-duty education, even if it doesn't pertain to your job field. Uh, like for myself right now, like I can go to um, pretty much essentially on the Marine Corps. Diamond, I can go to a trade school right now. Like I can go to Rankin and start to learn how to weld uh, if it's something that I chose to do. Um, like there's, there's all these kinds of different opportunities and resources that the Marine Corps has to kind of get you in a career path. The, the part that I think is neat about it too is you don't really have to have an actual 
I wouldn't say aptitude because you have to score on, you know, the, the ASVAB test to get it, but you can go into a career completely blind to it. Like for myself, since I'm an armor and I take care of guns all day, outside of I shot with my grandpa one time since he was a cop when I was in high school. Outside of that, I've never touched a gun before in my life, and now I'm one of the best armorers in the Marine Corps because they taught me how to do it basically from scratch. Um, one of the guys I used to work with actually here in the St. Peter's office was a uh, an aircraft mechanic. He worked on F-18s in the cockpit. Uh, got to work with the Blue Angels for a year. He was born and raised in Hawaii, outside of seeing them fly in the sky, never got close to an airplane, and then joined the Marine Corps, became an avionics specialist, works on the cockpit and all the electronical systems of F-18s, and is one of the best uh, avionics Marines in the Marine Corps, basically from having nothing, which is kind of the difference between the the military and the civilian aspect. Civilian aspect, you kind of, depending on what job or what career field you go into, you kind of have to have some sort of job experience. An employer wants that. Marine Corps is just, are you willing to learn? Do you have the drive to do it? Are you a Marine? Then we're going to teach you a job skill and make you successful in that as long as you put in the work. So it's it's kind of 50-50. You have to meet the Marine Corps halfway, but as long as you give them the effort, they're going to teach you how to do whatever your job field is and make you successful at it. Sounds like they're looking for will over skill. Basically, basically <laughs> at the end of the day, that, that trumps a lot. <laughs> so how flexible is the the choice of their MOS after they've tested? And is it a, do they... By time they got to you and they entered this this uh, early entry program, do they do they kind of size down what they want? Do they get a list of what they can choose from? Do you help pare that down? What's the flexibility there? And then, uh, kind of what choices are offered to them based on their desire? That's a, that's a good question. Um, so basically, like I said, as long as your scores meet the criteria, um, we essentially have a uh, at least for me, um, I kind of just made one in the office. Uh, just kind of made like a little Excel program where I can just plug in their their scores or line scores in the ASVAB, see what they're qualified for. And then based off that, we kind of see when their ship date is. And then we see what is available shipping wise for them. And then you just kind of cross-reference that, like what is available for when your ship date is, what is available for what you qualified for. And then I just sit down with the applicant. And then especially if they're in high school, I like to sit down with their, their parents. Uh, if they're a little bit older, maybe they're uh, their girlfriend or boyfriend or you know spouse, whatever the case may be, but someone else because it's good to get varying uh, opinions, not just the applicant themselves. Just kind of sit down, just go over. I go through exactly every single job that they're qualified for and just kind of this is the breakdown, this is what the job entails, what sounds interesting to you, um, and just kind of break down with that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's up to the applicant whatever they want to pick. There's never something that we're going to steer them into, oh, no, you have to pick infantry you have to pick communications you have to pick this it's if a job is available and you qualify for it then you know it's it's whatever you want to do uh the the neat thing about uh, me personally because i've been uh you know been around the world served with a lot of units and then being a recruiter obviously we network with different recruiters all over the country and obviously all over the st louis area if i haven't worked with someone in that mos that job specifically i know someone who has i'll have the applicant in my office or i'll be at their home and i can just call them on my cell phone call and be like, hey, ask any kind of questions about this job that you want. What does the job schooling entail? What do you like about it? What do you dislike about it? What does your day-to-day look like? Because obviously I'm not going to be able to answer every question about infantry because I don't serve in the infantry. But I have a lot of close friends that do it, so I can say, hey, I'll just call Sergeant Cordy, and you know what? Now you can talk to him, and he'll give you the entire breakdown of what it's like to be an infantryman, what their day-to-day life is like. Um, So really, like I said, it's – it's really whatever the applicant wants to do, whatever they are interested in, whatever they're qualified for. And then ship date too. Ship dates can be flexible, um, you know, d- depending on circumstance, depending on what's going on. Nothing is really ever set in stone per se. It kind of goes back to the whole, you know, what is this person wanting to do if they have a strong desire for something? The Marine Corps is willing to work with you uh, as long as you're willing to work with them, you know. Um, so that's – that's kind of how that's kind of how jobs work and kind of how we do it. At least that's how that's how the Marine Corps does it. Every branch kind of does it a little differently, but that's how we do ours. The reason why we don't do ours right after they get done with MEPS, the whole medical process and all that stuff, is because it's a long, stressful day down there. We want to give you a little time to breathe, and we sit down with usually a couple days up to like a week. We have up to thirty days technically to sign you a job, but we like to give you a little time to breathe, kind of process of. Hey, I'm just I'm going to be a Marine eventually. Be excited about that. Now we're going to talk about jobs and figure out what you want to do career path wise. Has there been a theme of of most popular choice of job or 
Have you seen any trends in that uh, vein? So in this area, because I specifically recruit out of the Cottleville, St. Peter's, and St. Charles area, and then my counterpart, uh, Staff Sergeant Berger, who works in the same office as me, recruits out of also a little bit of the St. Charles' area and then kind of O'Fallon area. We see a lot of individuals, and it all kind of depends on high school. We know it's trends in specific high schools. Uh, but a lot of kids, because it's Marine Corps, a lot of kids want to do infantry. Um, so they want to go um, be the guys that kick down doors and do cool stuff like that. And then the other two big upticks are communications, uh, which is actually Staff Sergeant Berger's MOS, so he can talk very intelligently to these kids. So maybe that's why. Maybe he's the one steering steering these kids because he's got a passion for uh, for his MOS, but communication. So anything to do with computers, it work, uh, data systems, stuff like that. Uh, we see a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of upticks cause I've been out here for almost two years now. I see a lot of that. And then a lot of kids that want to go into intelligence, intelligence and cybersecurity. Um, I think the reason why is because that's looked at, which I mean, it's true. Like it, you have to have fairly good ASVAB scores. So it's looked at as a quote unquote smarter, uh, career decision. And then there's a lot of civilian applications afterwards every mls is going to have civilian applications afterwards but um those they're a lot more um i guess obviously computer based and that's kind of where society in general and the military actually is kind of heading towards more cyberspace cybersecurity, computer type jobs and less on the ground on the foot kind of thing uh, which like i said is kind of weird so we kind of get complete opposite end of the spectrum between infantry and then something to do with a more or less computer so any kind of computer based intelligence type of jobs is kind of at least what i've seen personally here uh, in this area are kind of like the most popular mls's so i kind of grew up in the generation the vietnam era and uh you know i mean back then i i think the physical fitness requirements were very 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 different <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the requirements, uh, the physical requirements today versus yesteryears? Absolutely, absolutely. So for us currently, uh, the physical requirements, you you have to meet uh, heightened weight standards. And the heightened weight standards are going to vary between when you enlist in the delayed entry program and when you actually ship to boot camp. Um, your, your weight is going to have to be down a little bit depending on how heavy you are. Um, or even up a little bit. So there's a, a maximum and a minimum that you have to meet. So obviously you can't be too heavy and you can't be um, too skinny. Um, but it's all, it's kind of like a sliding scale, obviously. So like the taller you are, the more you can weigh, um, you know, and, and your minimum obviously is going to raise up. Um, and then as far as an actual like physical fitness test that we do, we run what's called an IST, an initial strength test. It's, it can pull-ups, a mile and a half run, and then planks. It used to be crunches. They just now change it to planks because it's a better um, better gauge of your core strength than traditional crunches are. Um, so the mile and a half run, uh, you have to finish uh, in under, I think it's 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Have to do three pull-ups, three dead hang, like arms completely locked out, get your chin completely over the bar, pull-ups, and then hold the plank for, I think it's a minute and a half. Um, again, every year, and we just enter a new fiscal year, every year they kind of update it and change it, tweak it a little bit based off of trends, but more or less that's kind of our physical requirement to uh, to ship off to boot camp. And then once you get to boot camp, you're going to run another IST in your first week um, just to make sure that, like, the the scores were, were correct, um, make sure, you know, Marines are always checking each other and everything. And then by the end of boot camp, you're going to run a PFT, our physical fitness test, uh, which is still pull-ups, but the minimum is raised. Uh, it's a three-mile run, still a mile and a half, and it's still a plank, and same thing, the, the score is raised. And when you run your PFT, same thing that you're going to have to run uh, throughout your fleet life, you have to run that once a year. It's actually like a graded scale, so it's not just a pass or fail no more. Um, so you get graded on a scale of each event is graded on a scale of 0 to 100. So uh, the better you can do, the more physically fit you are, the higher your score is going to be. And then throughout your career life, that's the more competitive you're going to be for promotion and such. So, so I, you know, they say nationwide that 20% of recruits now are women. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly, certainly – you have a number of women enter in the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, are there dual standards or how, how is, I mean, how, do you, how, did, how is that handled? So they still, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, a Marine's a Marine, whether it's a male Marine, mother, female Marine. Um, so they still, everyone still has to do the same tests, like females and males, they still have to do PFTs, they still have to do CFTs or combat fitness tests, they still have to do weigh-ins, they have to shoot in the rifle range. Everything's still the same with that. Uh, the only difference is our PFT and CFT uh, physical fitness tests and our combat fitness tests. Uh, the females is tweaked a little bit. Um, 
And that's just because of the way biology is, obviously. Um, you know, uh, the ways women's bodies are and the ways men's bodies are are, are different. Um, so their actual scores and their, their minimum standards are a little different, but they still have to complete it and they still have to pass, um, you know, to get into boot camp and then while they're Marines and such. So, so I, I threw that number out a couple times, 20%. Do you see that in a local market, that trend? Mm-hmm. Is that about right? It's about right. That that sounds pr- pretty close to, to our market, at least mine personally. And then me, uh, us as an office, the, the Winsville St. Peter's office. Um, yeah, 20% just like everything else, it kind of ebbs and flows, kind of roller coaster up and down. Um, for whatever reason, lately, last couple of months, I've seen a pretty big uptick in females. I don't think it's anything that's related to anything that's happened. I think it's just, you know, luck of the draw. There just happen to be a lot of female applicants that have been interested that I've talked to. Um, whereas when I first started out, it was kind of, I, I didn't really have a whole lot. So I would say 20%. Yeah, it's, that's probably about right. And it, it all just depends on the month, time of the year, uh, you know, luck of the draw, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, I think 20% is probably, probably around about pretty, pretty good, pretty good number. You know, historically children of military veterans have followed in their, uh, you know, footsteps of their, of their parents. What does the profile of the new generation of volunteers kind of look like? So... I guess can you elaborate? I guess on the question a little bit. Like, so, are you are you seeing uh, the difference in people following in footsteps of family members, uh, specifically parents, or um, just more randomized uh, recruiting? Or how, what what are you seeing in this area, or maybe across the board in the Marines? Gotcha. Um, that's good. That makes more sense. Uh, so, uh, in this area, I mean, I get a lot of a lot of our police, a lot of our applicants are. I say a lot, probably probably a little under 50% are children of vets, whether it's uh, Marine Corps or another branch. Uh, we do see a lot of that. And then you also see a lot of individuals like me that are just, oh, I know next to nothing about the military, and I'm just curious and I want to do something different. I don't, I don't have an exact number in front of me. Uh, I, I don't really think much has changed between that and what it was like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, I also talk to a lot of parents, whether it's at schools, on the phone, in person who were military, and they don't want their kids to do that. Um, and then there's some that are the polar opposite, and they're, oh, yeah, I was a Marine. I can't wait for my son or daughter to, to join and, you know, be in the Corps too kind of thing. So um, it, it's really just kind of all over the board. It's just kind of the same thing with the female question. It's just it's kind of luck of the draw. You never know. Um, you get some, like I said, some vets that are that are all for it and can't wait for it. Um, and there's some that are adamantly opposed and there's some that are just kind of indifferent. Um, but I, I would say most of, most of the individuals that I talk to at least probably if I had to put a number of 60, 70% have someone in their family that they know served in some sort of branch. Um, so really probably like 30% of kids that I talk to have absolutely nobody, uh, in their family. Usually there's somebody, whether it's a grandfather or a distant cousin or something of that nature that they they have that have served, um, but it's kind of same thing. It's just, it's just kind of luck of the draw of the day or of the week. So, and how do you guys deal with uh, a recruit that or a potential recruit that wants to quote unquote you know shop around, <laughs> shop around? Okay, uh, like go to other you know look at other branches and stuff. Yeah. I'm all for it. I'm all about it. I'm not one who gets in and is like this is you know this is the Marine Corps. This is the only way. Obviously, I am Marine, so I will 100% be like, oh, this is the best branch. Like you should do this one because it's better than all the others because. Every branch is going to say that, whether you're a recruiter or not. That's that's why we all join. Um, but I, I'm usually all for it. Actually, I, I usually encourage uh, my my applicants, the the ones who haven't gone down to Meps yet and everything. Uh, I tell them to, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, go, go see what the other what the other branches have to offer. Um, I'm still of the contention of, like I said, like I, I think this branch is better because uh, I'm Marine. You know, that's that's what we do. You know, we all uh, we all like to to battle and BS with each other and kind of you know, try and one up each other. That's just, that's, that's individual. That's kind of why, what we are. That's the 1%, you know, 1% of uh, the military of the, the American population. We all like to uh, josh around, but we all kind of like to be the best. That's what we like to do. But I, I usually tell them, go check out the other ones. It's, this is really no different than buying a car. Um, you know, like if you want to go in and settle for that, that first, the, the Mustang that you see, then yeah, go buy the Mustang. But you know, why not go check out the Charger too? Go check out the Corvette. Like, go look at all of them. Why not? Um, hopefully, like at least in my job, like you'll come back and you'll see that. Yeah, that Mustang was better than all the other ones. And here, I'll tell you why. Uh, but but there's no point in, in not going and checking out all the other ones because they're going to find out out all that info eventually anyway. 
uh, whether it's a couple months from a friend who maybe joined another branch or in two years when they're stationed somewhere in California and they run into someone from the Navy and all of a sudden they're talking to the Navy, eventually they're going to find out about the other branches anyway. So might as well go and learn and, and see what you like because just like the military as a whole isn't for everyone, the Marine Corps is not for everybody. Um, and it kind of goes back to, to what I keep saying before. It's, it's a give and take. Like Marine Corps is not for everyone and not everyone is for the Marine Corps. So there, there's, there's a back and forth. Um, like I like to hope that everyone joins the Marine Corps because it's a great branch and it opens up a, a lot of doors and possibilities for, for lots of young people to do, to do great things in their life. But not only are not a lot of people qualified, but you know, not, it's, it's not necessarily for everybody. So I'm, I'm a hundred percent good with, with people going and, uh, for lack of a better word, shopping around, I guess, and, you know, going exploring other things. So, And there was, there's a couple terms we've kind of thrown out that I, I wanted to kind of bring up. And one is retention because, you know, recruitment is important, but you have to, re, you know, keep the people that are in there. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about women roughly being 20% of the recruits. I guess the goal is obviously for anybody that joins the Marine Corps, you want to keep them on a very long time. You want people to serve more than the four years or, but, you know, raising a family while you're in the military, it, there's been a lot on the news lately about accommodating them and making it easy for the family. Can you kind of talk about how that's changing and how it may evolve down the road? If, if you can speculate a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at least I know for me now, um, like current day, they give, uh, individuals and it's Department of Defense. Why it's not just the the Marine Corps. It's it's for every branch uh, that they give individuals that are having children uh, primary care leave and then secondary care leave. Um, so essentially, in the civilian world, paternity and uh, maternity leave. Uh, so like myself, I just had my uh, my second child. I had my daughter was born at the end of July, uh, and I got three weeks off. That doesn't count towards my actual normal leave. It used to be two weeks. Uh, not even two years ago when I had my uh, my first child, my son, um, in South Carolina, I was given two weeks off uh, that you can use any time within uh, 365 days of when you, uh, when your child and the mother gets discharged from the hospital. Uh, the reason they do that, obviously, that two weeks, that free leave, it's not just like, sure, just burn it whenever, just because the, the goal of it and the purpose of it is to help your spouse and to help not only them, but with the child as well. So obviously, I took I took mine right away. Some Marines don't. Some Marines will save it until later and basically like, use it and save it up to, to give their wife a break, um, you know, from whatever it is that that's at the individual's discretion. Um, so, you know, my, my first son was, was born, he was super huge. So, uh, I had to go and, uh, help, help my wife, uh, take care of him. Um, and then the most recent one, uh, my daughter, when she was born in July, my wife had a C-section. So she, and we had, you know, a toddler running around, you know, a two year old. So there, there was a lot that she physically could not do. So I was able to, to use three weeks of leave where Marine Corps was basically said like, take a break, go take care of your wife, go take care of your kids, take care of your family. And, you know, because you're not going to be an effective warfighter, you're not going to be an effective Marine, you're not going to be an effective recruiter if you have all this mess going on at home. So make sure that you take care of home first before you come and try and do your job. And I think that's kind of the trend that the Marine Corps and the Department of Defense as a whole is kind of moving towards is – you're not going to be effective whether you're on a deployment or whether you're back in garrison or whether you're doing what I'm doing, you're a recruiter. You're not going to be effective if you have a lot of issues going on at home. So that's kind of the trend that we're seeing going on. Same thing with, with females too, with the, the primary caregiver leave. They, they get up to, gosh, someone's going to fact check me on this and tell me I'm super wrong, but I, I think it's up to six months, like six months right after they, they have a baby that they're, they're allowed essentially maternity leave uh, that they can take to, one, get themselves back into shape, back into workout shape, fighting shape, and then also, too, to, to make sure that the, the child's okay. Because like you said, that's kind of the trend. Um, kind of always has been in civilization and then America. Like, you know, women take care of take care of the children and whatnot. But so it's like if you still prescribe to that, the traditional roles like that, like you, you need that time off. You need time to not only help yourself but also help your baby and everything. And I think that's, that's a good direction that the Department of Defense and the Marine Corps in general is going towards is we want you to have kids. We want to continue the legacy. Um, but we also want you to be effective warfighters. So how do we split the difference? And the easiest way to split that difference is give you time off, make sure things are good at home. And then once you're fully charged and well rested, then we can get you back in the fight, whether that fight is actually going and going on deployment, like I said, or whether it's fixing a computer or fixing a plane or fixing a gun, whatever it is. But that's kind of the trend that they're going towards. And I just, I see them 
hopefully, fingers crossed, they keep continuing that trend and, and you know, improving on it and getting better. Well, it sounds really intentional. I'm, I'm glad that they're uh, they're doing that. I, I got a two part question now, Ben. Is uh, how important are ROTC programs to uh, gain recruits? A and then B, if that if it is uh, important, is ROTC enrollment up or down? So, as far as importance, it, it can be it can be good. It depends on, I guess, at what level that it's it's taken at. So, for like high school versus college. Um, so the high school side of it, it, it's, it's important. It's not obviously necessary. Um, it's kind of good because kids are already kind of in that, that mindset of military mindset. This is kind of the standards that the military is looking for. Um, kind of stuff that their the recruiters are wanting to see the stuff that my drill instructors eventually going to want to see my, my future bosses and NCOs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then also, too, that is kind of a benefit if you do ROTC for a certain number of years as a high school, you can actually have the opportunity to get promoted uh, before you even go into boot camp. Uh, so so it is kind of nice. It's not a prerequisite. It's not something that I necessarily personally look for. But if I hear someone that is in ROTC, I I already like I'm kind of like, okay, like this, this is good because there's some sort of foundation already there that's already kind of built. Uh, and then the other side of the house, too, for someone who's maybe in college and does ROTC programs there that's usually pretty good because those will help your chances of being selected as an officer. Um, that's a whole different recruiting side of the house that, um, that other recruiters do and specifically train to recruit officers as opposed to what I do and recruit enlisted. Uh, but either way, it's not, it's not necessarily a, not a bad thing, but I mean, it, it is a positive. Um, so, and then, so I I think I answered the first part of your question. Like, did I answer the second part as well? Or Well, is it, do you know if, do you happen to know if enrollment in, in your, what you're looking for is up or down in the high schoolers or maybe not what you're looking for, but what you're seeing? Right. Um, not, I mean, I, I, I don't have the actual numbers or stats in front of me with it. Um, from what I've seen, and I'm just comparing it to me, you know, graduating high school back in 2012, uh, you know, my kind of class size to similar schools that are class sizes uh, around the areas they recruit. The class sizes seem to be about the same, so I don't think I wouldn't think that there'd be really any increase or decrease. Um, but again, I don't know nationwide or even this area. I don't really have a, a definitive answer, I guess per se. So, so you mentioned uh, at one point that you got to see a lot of the world and everything. So, can a recruit to ser- actually choose an MOS or, or a, a job? where he's going to see more of the world. Can he kind of say, I want to see a whole lot of the world <laughs> or, or I want to stay state, stateside? Can they, can they kind of head down that path? I mean, it, yes and no. <laughs> not, uh, I'd say not really at the end of the day. Um, every, every Marine kind of knows that they have the potential to deploy, uh, whether it's an actual uh, combat deployment, whether it's a humanitarian mission, whether it's something like mine where it was kind of a combination of both. Um, so it, it really just depends. Some MOSs, I guess, a few are more predispositioned, like something like infantry are more predispositioned to go on deployments or go on MUSE, Marine Expeditionary Units, um, kind of a, you know around the world. Um, but there's really no – it's kind of a, a shot in the dark because sometimes you do get stuck at a – I say stuck, some people might like it. Uh, some people do wind up at a non-deployable unit, which happens. So say you're at like one of the training bases, you know, uh, at boot camp at MCRD San Diego or MCRD Paris Island, which is what happened to my brother. Uh, he went from San Diego to his job school and then got stationed permanently on Paris Island. So he was at a non-deployable unit for two years. Uh, and like I said, that's either luck of the draw or bad luck of the draw, depending on how you look at it. But there's other there's other opportunities. Like we have um, Marine Security Guard. Um, so every embassy, every American embassy in the world is actually guarded by Marines. Um Almost every country in the world has a, a U.S. embassy. Uh, the Marine Corps guards those. So there's, it's an actual MOS and actually a secondary MOS, too, that you can choose to be a Marine security guard and go work at these embassies, which is actually something that I, I'm trying to uh, lateral move into um, after, uh, uh, after I get out of this. Um, after I get out of this job being recruited, that's one of the things I would actually like to to go and do uh, is, is be a Marine security guard somewhere and take my family there because it's a three-year tour and you get to go to three different embassies, w- one per year. So something like that, like that's something that's a volunteer opportunity that you're allowed to go do, uh, again, if you qualify for it, as long as you get selected for it. So 
we have a lot of Marines that come in here. As you walk around the museum, you see a lot of dress blues, Marine Corps mm-hmm. uniforms. So one of the questions I usually throw out to people, Camp Lejeune or Camp Pendleton? <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like most people, Camp Pendleton is more attractive to them. <laughs> but, um, of course, you were at Camp Pendleton, right? I was. So I went to MCRD San Diego, so I was in Cali. I was in California is where my initial training was. Uh, and then I was stationed in South Carolina in uh, Buford, on MCAS Buford, the air station there, which is 20 minutes from Paris Island. So I actually got to see both training bases. Uh, and there's positives and negatives, but, yeah, that's a it's kind of a big thing with, with Marines of are you a Hollywood Marine or are you, you know, an old-school Marine because Paris Island's the, <laughs> the original one. Um, and, uh, you know, we both have our own uh, – uh, both have our own positives and negatives. The the ones on the West Coast, we like to say that, you know, our uh, our legs are built different and stronger because, uh, you know, on the West Coast, we got to climb these mountains and hills and whatnot. And uh, the guys in the East Coast, the guys and gals in the East Coast say that they're uh, they're more disciplined because they have to deal with sand fleas uh, that are biting them and they got to stand uh, straighter during it. So uh, it's, it's all in good fun. At the end of the day, we're all Marines. And, uh, you know, kind of earlier what I said, we all kind of have that that alpha male and alpha female mentality of wanting to be better and kind of one-up each other. Uh, at the end of the day, it's all in good fun, and, um, you know, at, we're all on the same team. Definitely. You're joining the military is a, is a huge decision, a big decision, one of the most important decisions that someone will make in their life. How can a recruiter help that individual who is thinking about going into the military uh, make that decision, and how important is, is your role in that process? Uh, I think this role, honestly, this is – probably the most important job that I've done, uh, in my life. Uh, I don't say it just because I am a recruiter and it's like, Oh, there's something that I have to say. Um, it, it is super important. My recruiter had a huge impact on me, even though I was pretty determined that this is something that I wanted to do. Um, you, you never know until you actually do it. You never know until you actually sit down and talk with the recruiter. Um, so that would be my biggest advice to anyone who even has a mild interest. Even if you don't have any interest in doing the military, I think it's super important to go and talk to a military recruiter, um, whether it's Marine Corps or one of the other branches, but sit down and talk with them because you never know what opportunities are out there. Um, you know, your life can change so much just by a simple conversation. Uh, and that's kind of the biggest thing. And the, the most gratification that I get from doing this job is the fact that I do get to change lives. It sounds kind of corny. It may sound kind of cheesy. Um, but at the end of the day, I am like, there, there's so many individuals that I talk to that, are either in boot camp right now, or I mean, I have a, a few that have already graduated and are already in the fleet Marine force, um, you know, doing, doing their job that never thought that they were going to be Marine, never really even had an interest in being in the Marines because they didn't know the things that the Marine Corps could offer them and the opportunities that they could give them. Um, so that, that's really my biggest advice. I mean, the, the role that the Marine Corps recruiter plays on an individual is huge kind of to Jim, your first question that you asked about, you know, recruiters are like highly sought after. I mean, they are the, uh, the Marine Corps team that goes around, looks for recruiters and gets, gets volunteer recruiters and gets, gets individuals that are already Marines to go and be recruiters. They do select the most highly qualified individuals because they want the best Marines to go find the next generation of Marines. Cause at the end of the day, whether it's you do four years and you're done or whether you do 40 years and you're done one way or another, this job's going to end. There's going to have to be other Marines to take your place that's where the individual recruiter comes into play because we're out there and we're trying to find the next generation of qualified young men and women to take our place and to be better than we, we are. Uh, that, that's, that's the biggest role. And that's, that's one of the things I like about this job. The best is trying to find someone who is better than me, which you know, you ask might not be that, that hard. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, it's fun. It's sometimes stressful and it's hard and it's difficult, but trying to find someone, show them how the Marine Corps can change their life uh, is, is one of the best things I've ever done. Excellent. Thank you, Sergeant Dermullen. If someone wanted to uh, reach out to you, they're interested in uh, the process, mm-hmm. tell, tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you and uh, maybe an email or phone number or location. For sure, for sure. Um, so the easiest way to reach out to us is one, just uh, just stop by the office. Uh, 264 uh, Mid Rivers uh, Center is our address. There's, you know, a bunch of a bunch of doors. You really can't miss them. Uh, it's all the recruiter doors right next to them. Just walk in, knock on the door, um, take a card in the window for whatever reason. It's it's, uh, you know, a Sunday or something like that that we're not in the office. You know, we have our cards in the window that you can take in, 
and contact us. Um, or like my cell number, my gov cell number is uh, 314-258-0960. Uh, basically have that on me at all times. So anyone can always call or text that number. Uh, no problem. And then uh, on social media, uh, for any of those that are on Instagram, uh, my uh, my Instagram is just my name, Benjamin.Demolin. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty unique name. It's it's kind of hard to screw up, so it's it's pretty easy to find. Um, so I, I usually post some stuff on there. But, yeah, the easiest way is just, like I said, call me, hit me up on social media, or just walk in. There's uh, never too busy to, to talk to an applicant, talk to a parent, uh, talk to any influencer, anyone who wants to learn more information that's so literally my whole job is to give more information. That's kind of sometimes I don't like being called recruiter because I feel like I don't recruit anybody. I feel like I'm just there. I'm a purveyor of information. I'm just there to give info to individuals who want it, uh, kind of talk to them about opportunities and just kind of show them the way if it's something that they're wanting to take the next steps with. Well, Sergeant DeMullen, thank you so much for joining us today in studio at the uh, St. Charles County Veterans Museum on the Dog Tag Podcast. Uh, is there anything else that uh, we missed before we sign off here? Uh, no, not really. Just, uh, you know, like I said, thanks for, thanks for having me, giving me this opportunity to come out here. Um, I love, uh, love interacting with the community. Anytime I get to, to talk to individuals and get an excuse to, to run my mouth because I, I like to talk a lot. So <laughs> this, uh, this job is kind of fitting for me. So, um, no, like I said, just if anyone has, uh, any kind of interest or just wants to learn more, or just wants to reach out and just talk, you know, like I said, that's kind of, that's why I'm here in the community. That's, that's my biggest role. So, uh, no, thanks. Thanks again for having me guys. And thank you for your service. And we really appreciate you helping shape the next generation of uh, Marines. And we're going to go ahead and sign off from the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The Dog Tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.